The Drum Candy Podcast is brought to you by Drum Factory Direct. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome into episode one of season three of the Drum Candy Podcast. This is your host, Mike Dawson, coming to you from Drum Factory Direct in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. This week's guest is Quentin Q. Robinson. Q is currently about to kick off on the first national tour of Ain't Too Proud to Beg, the Broadway musical that's all about the life of the Temptations. Uh, and before that, he's been touring, he toured with Avery Sunshine, Anthony David, Pivo Bryson, Bobby Brown. Uh, very versatile, a lot of experience as a musical director, drummer, programmer, um, and now he's a national touring drummer for a Broadway show. So we talk about that whole process of what it takes to get a show off the road, what kind of gear he has, how he's tuning, maybe differently or not, all that stuff. So let's get right to it. Here is Q Robinson. Maybe, maybe now. Yeah, it had to have been a NAMM show. Had to have been, yeah. Yeah. When's the last time you were there? Were you at the COVID show a couple of years ago? <laughs> <laughs> I was. I, I came in for a day. I was um, I was uh, doing a uh, a cabaret show at Feinstein's um, in uh, San Fran. So um, I came in on like that Sunday and kind of, you know, shook all the hands and kissed all the babies and got back to uh, San Fran for the show at the Nico. So, yeah. Nice. So you left there not sick like everybody else. I feel like a lot of people oh, no. got sick. Oh, no. It was one day. It was one day. <laughs> <laughs> one day. And I think if we would have known what we know now, they would have canceled that NAMM show. I think so. Yeah. Although yeah. I think I got exposed to it enough to not get super sick when I finally did oh. catch it. Yikes. Yeah. When did you, you catch it? This past August. After double vax, three months wow. later, I got Yikes. it. Yikes. Yep. I got it uh, when no one knew what it was. Top of March. Mm. Like, you know, all of the stuff. Like, you know now not to lay on your back. And I was just laying on my back, you know, not feeling well. You know, just thinking it was, you know, seasons changing, common cold, tickling my throat. I literally just had left New York. <laughs> uh the last the last Sunday in February, um, I was in New York. I made my Broadway debut on a show and I came back home getting ready to go to um another uh theater thing in Atlanta and I got this tickle in my throat. I was like, mm. I can't be getting sick. So me um uh, got a bunch of oranges ate a bag of oranges, <laughs> drank a ton of orange juice, and that usually kills it, right? Um, that tickle in my throat two days later felt like somebody had hit me in the back of my legs with a baseball bat. Weird. And it just got worse and worse and worse. I ended up being um, admitted to the hospital for about a week and a half, uh, developed viral pneumonia in both of my lungs, and it was touch and go for a minute. So Gosh. I was like, holy crap. <laughs> So, yeah. So you know, it's definitely uh, it's 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 crazy to be uh, vaccinated and get it. Um, especially like we had a um, we're um, we're out here we're in Schenectady right now, and um, one of the local crew members and our crew, like everybody, whether they travel with us or are local, they have to be vaccinated. 
mm-hmm. and um, someone came back with an inconclusive test, not positive, but just mm-hmm. inconclusive. And everything came to a grinding halt. And for the next five days, everybody got tested every day, rapid and PCR, rapid and PCR. And thankfully, um, no one, no one contracted um, or had a positive test. So, man, that was um, that was a blessing. But like, I I can't even um, think about you know doing all of the things that make sense. You know, following the science and still contracting and just like, holy crap, like. What do I do? What do I do now? Right. So, um, well, to that point, me, it, I, was, I, it was just like a, a congestion and couldn't taste anything. Got super. I mean, oh wow! Did you ever get your taste back? Yeah, it all came back like a week later. It was like if oh, I, if, okay. if it wasn't in the middle of a pandemic, I would have thought it was just a really strange head cold, like just mm. a bizarre one that didn't seem. Got to, it. You know, it never got down to my chest. Thank God. So let me ask you this question, because this is always like, so when you took the vaccination, did you have any of those symptoms? Like, did you have like a really bad head, head thing? Zero side huh. effects from either shot. Really? Yeah. Okay. Then I'm, they're just I'm putting sugar water at me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering too, like, uh, and no one can answer this question for me. It's like, okay, so I've had, and I know a couple of people that had it pre-vax and then post-vax then i'm wondering if the symptoms can you be symptomatic the first time and asymptomatic you know if you recontract like no one can answer that question for me but like you know can does your body just respond one way or does it more i don't know anyway let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about other stuff <laughs> welcome to the drum candy podcast where we are cutting edge on science and technology <laughs> oh man so i want to know because you said your schedule your schedule's crazy so what do you have in store today like what where are oh, you man. at in the process what's going on so uh this is the last perform performance uh te- technically we're in tech but, you know, at the end of every tech, there is uh, in a dress rehearsal, everybody in full show mode or whatever. Um, so we're fortunate enough to have two of those. Uh, so tonight, uh, well, I go in at one today and it's basically tech rehearsal, tech notes from um, the uh, invited dress from last night. And uh, we'll do it all again today. So the schedule today will be one to six um, dinner break and come back half hour and do another invited dress at eight. Mm. Um, but also in that, I'm working along with production to make sure that all of the drum gear um, has what it had. Like there are three drum kits on this show. So um, making sure that those are what they need to be. And then also talking about exit strategy, because to being that today is the last show, we got to make sure that all of the drum gear gets packed up, you know, and sent on to the next city, which is Durham. So, Oh, so you're not actually opening there in upstate New York. This is just rehearsals. Mm-hmm. Oh, yep. I didn't know that. I thought you were there for yeah, like a couple so, of weeks of shows. Right. No. So, um, well, everyone's like, when does the tour start? For me, the tour started back in October because right. I've been home, away from home since October. 
but uh, there was like five weeks of cast rehearsal, well, dance boot camp, and then four weeks of cast rehearsals in New York City. And then we had two weeks of tech rehearsal. And although shows will be in Durham, you can almost kind of look at those um, as previews. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, the show was locked, but in Durham, there could be some different things that happen. The show doesn't officially open until December um, 15th, and that would, that'll be in D.C. And so it's kind of like full circle for the show. Um, the show on their pre-Broadway run um, broke all kind of records at, at the Kennedy Center. So there were only really two places that this show could open Um and it really mean that much. It could be where you broke a lot of records or you could go back home to Detroit where the Temptations kind of mm-hmm. made their bones. Um, so, yeah, like, so Durham is a week and then we sit down in D.C. for a month. So we'll yeah, be cool. in D.C. for a month at the Kennedy Center, which is pretty exciting, you know, um, to, to be able to play that, that place. So much history there and, mm-hmm. you know, so many great performers and performances have happened there. So to be able to kind of, you know, check that one off the list is kind of cool. Do they put you up in the city or you're outside? No, we're in the city. Um, so typically what they try to do is put us in walking distance to the theater. Mm. Um, DC being set up the way it is, a lot of times that's not necessarily uh, possible. So we're just on the other side of the bridge. Mm-hmm. It's it's no direct line to the theater, but it's literally like five minutes away. Mm-hmm. But because you have to go across water, you know, you can't get there. But you know, the company um, has done they they um, they do a really good job of you know making sure that things are safe and we have um, great accommodations, but are also not breaking the bank every city we go to. So um, they, you know, they're magicians at that, you know? Mm-hmm. You know so, so yeah, at this point, I mean, you said you have two more, I mean, the tech rehearsals, but they're kind of like dry runs. Can things change like for you? No, I mean, so with this show, it's a little it's a little different um simply because the show is already up and running on broadway right mm-hmm. so this show uh, broadway is the mother show and this is a subsidiary of that so everything that we do should push people back to the mothership so to speak right mm-hmm. so uh the book is written my ink is my ink um but it's theater, so everything is, you know, it's a living, breathing organism. And just depending on how the actor takes his line at night, you know, the vamp could change a little bit. But in essence, the show is the show. Um, every venue will have its um, its variances. And because of that, you know, something may change, but the content and the context of what I'm playing is always going to be the same. Um, from a technical aspect, just based on how wide the stage is, you know, we may sit in a vamp a couple of bars longer, or, mm. you know, we may have to modify some things just based on, you know, 
you know, where things are set, you know, on the stage. But for the most part, the show is pretty locked. You know, it's not like, um, you know, it's not like a rock show where, you know, the drummer can, you know, do a fill, you know, for mm. two bars one night and a bar and a half the next night, you know, just artistic license. You know, everything is very what it has to be because there are so many things that depend on that consistency. You know, time code is running, you know, the lights are listening for a certain thing. You know, if I do a certain feel that gives the dancers their three, four going into the next part, you know, so uh, consistency is key. Um, I think in all music, but particularly this, you know, you know, this is not the time to have your creative, oh, I feel a certain way this night, so I'm going to deliver it this way. No. There's so many other things that we don't even see that depend on that consistency, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, did you go and study the Broadway score? Like, are you playing it pretty much note for note as the Broadway show, or how does that develop for you? Yeah, so um, prior to prior to this tour, um, I was one of Clayton subs. Clayton Craddock is the drummer on Broadway. Okay. And um, I was one of his subs. And prior to that opportunity, you know, I sat in this pit maybe four or five different times, every time with the book, every time, right, um, you know, uh, annotating what he changed. You know, um, as a sub on Broadway, your job is to be invisible as possible, you know. Um, not devoid of personality, but you know the the boxes, the lines are drawn, color within the lines. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so for the most part, everything that I'm playing is written. Um, there are certain sections where it just says "feel," you know, or you know it has slashes. Those are very far and few in between. Um, but in those moments, you know, it's still also uh, staying true to the genre and, and what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, we are not um, trying. This is a very modern sound, unlike the Motown sound. You know, if you know anything about um, Pistol, Al- uh, Pistol Allen, um, Papacita, Benjamin, and... Um, Uriel Jones, they were jazz drummers that could play everything else. So their tone was very jazzy. Like when mm-hmm. you listen to those six stroke rolls that Benny used to do, it was the tones of the drums were very jazz oriented, very high pitched, very, you know, tonal. And they just used it in a different medium. This is not that. This is a very modern sound um, using those tools. So even when it says feels, I'm still doing it under the guise of what those guys would have played. And then, you know, I might put a little sauce on something, you know, just based on what the music, but it all depends, you know, it's whatever's going to push the music forward, what's happening on stage and, you know, what the music demands. The, the, first of all, the book demands that you play, be true to the genre, you know, mm-hmm. but um, Kenny Seymour and Harold Wheeler who arranged, uh, this music did a phenomenal job of bridging what they did then, what Broadway does, and then also bringing some elements of a rock show and a pop show into it. So it's a hodgepodge of everything. So, yeah. But to answer your question directly, it's most, 98% of it is ink. So if I'm correct, you play open-handed 
left hand mm-hmm. lead. And yep. then what about the Broadway kit? Is it right handed? <laughs> it's a right handed kit. So how did you manage yeah. subbing on a show when you couldn't play it right? <laughs> Man, it I didn't realize I will say this. It's the same instrument, but there are so many different rules that you have to learn. Um, I've been offered maybe sub positions on maybe four or five different shows to which I've probably turned on three of them for that reason, because the the setups are so specific. Um, uh, I went to Clayton maybe a week before and I was like, hey, man, because he has a very basic setup. It's two crashes, like a 17 and a 19 inch crash, you know, ride. Mm-hmm. And um, it would super simple for me to just take that ride, put it over there, put the crash over there, be done with it. And um, he said, I don't know. You, you can't play the show right handed. And I thought he was joking. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, I, I, I play <laughs> with the ride on the left. I'm an open handed player. And um, so he had to get sound guys down there and the sound designers came in and they had to approve it. And, mm-hmm. um, and so, yeah, I, I had to play it. So what what was weird is that I didn't have a main crash because I'm a lefty. My main crash is to the left of my ride. But <laughs> right. because they only gave me permission to move the ride symbol, you know, both of the crashes were on the right side. So <laughs> weird. It it was very weird, but being in that chair for the first time with no put in rehearsal, no nothing, was weird enough. So it's just mm. it, you get to a point like it's almost kind of like if you're in pain, you know, how much more pain can you really be in if you're in excruciating pain already? So, Truth. you know, <laughs> it, you know, it was sink or swim. It's like okay, either I'm going to you know thrive in this, you know, take this challenge on and thrive in it, or I'm going to fail and. You know, never be heard from again, <laughs> and uh, and be a troublemaker. Ask them to move tougher, and be a troublemaker because once that stuff is set, you know, and you know, sound guys already are already kind of, you know, all, the way I describe them is always on the edge of confrontation. <laughs> so, Truth. <laughs> so they're like, "What are you? What are you trying to do? Uh, you want to move the right? You can't play it this way, <laughs> sir." Sir, I'm a I'm a lefty. I'm not trying to move the entire kit. I just want to take this symbol here and move this one here. And then he was like, "Okay, yeah, that'll be fine." And then walks out. He was like, "Thank you." Ah. As long as you have to move their mics, right? That's the only thing they care about. Do not touch a microphone. <laughs> Do not touch a microphone. <laughs> you want to make enemies? Move in front. Move, move an engineer's microphone. <laughs> <laughs> and so. How did you end up getting the touring gig then? Okay, so I am based in Atlanta. Well, I'm between Atlanta and New York, but I I have a home in Atlanta. I've been there for the past 10 years. um, And Broadway has been a door that I've been been knocking on, I don't know, maybe since, uh, maybe four or five years. And um, just going up there, sitting in pits and meeting people in networking, playing a bunch of different readings, you know, um, Clayton called me one day after they won. This was, so this was 2019. They got nominated for maybe like 12, 12 Tonys. I think they won a couple 
Um, right after that, they announced that a tour was happening. And um, I am technically the fifth guy on Clayton's sub list, not because of playing ability, but availability um, and geography, right? Oh. Um, being in Atlanta, I can be in New York in an hour and a half, right? Like, whatever. But because of that, he was like, hey, man, there's this tour happening. I think you would be perfect for it. Um, do you mind if I throw your hat in the ring? Because on the tour, everybody's from everywhere. Like, mm-hmm. some of the actors are based in New York, but you have people from the West Coast. You have people from the Midwest. You know, so geography of where you uh, live doesn't necessarily matter as much um, as if as much as if you were on Broadway, which, you know, you have to be in a city, you know, you have, you know, it makes sense if you're doing eight shows a week, six days, uh, eight shows a week, six days a week, you know, um, it makes sense for you to live in New York, but a tour, you know, you're a nomad for a year. You're living out of hotels and Airbnbs. Um, Mm -hmm. So he put my name in the hat and um, I'm glad he didn't tell me this until after I got the, uh, the gig, but, he said that there were 75 drummers vying Ooh. for that position. <laughs> right. I'm so glad he didn't tell me that. How they whittled <laughs> that down? I would have froze up. How's yeah. that get whittled down? I mean, do you have to go through an audition? I mean, how does that work? So, um, I don't know what their selection process was. Uh, what I know is the prerequisite was that they whoever the drummer, the twin drummer was, they wanted to have that person have uh, experience of playing the show. Mm-hmm. And when he told me that initially, I thought he was telling me that to disqualify me. And he was like, hey man, just heard back from the producers. You know, they want someone who's played the show. And I was like, oh man, thank you. I appreciate you putting my, my name in the hat. Thanks for the consideration. And then he was like, so when can you play the show? I'm sorry, what? Oh, you hadn't played the show yet. I had not played the show. <laughs> this is all off of, you know, uh, and, you know, I've talked to Zach. Zach and I have talked, and I've said this in a couple of other interviews, you know, uh, now Instagram and social media is becoming the preemptive audition. Mm-hmm. You know, having um, having material that someone can see and someone can view um means a lot and you know you know i got stuff on my website and stuff on my instagram not as much as i should but you know whatever and um he saw that and you know he knew i had an interest in playing shows and i had been up doing doing some other things and you know the as big as broadway is is very small as far as the community is concerned and you know him asking around and you know hearing so me playing the show was uh, the preemptive audition, so to speak. I didn't have the gig until after I played the show. I played the show that Sunday, and I got a call from the contractor like that Monday, Monday evening, offering me the show. Yeah, so I thought you were like subbing for a year or something. I played one show, no rehearsal, <laughs> hot seat. The music director came into the room, and you know, being a music director myself, you know. I, I I will go in and be like, hey, man, like measure three, like look out for this. You know, hey, when we get here, it's a little tricky. I'm going to direct it like this. 
none of that. He walked in. He was like, you're going to see all the directions coming in real slow. Have a great show. And walks out. And I'm like, I'm sorry. What? Like, wait. What are we doing? Um, and, you know, you I guess. You hadn't the suck. show at all either? You hadn't been up to, to sit in the pit yet? So, I, yeah, I sat in the pit. Okay. Um, I sat so in the pit maybe four or five times. Okay. But me sitting in the pit the first couple of times was only because I wanted to see what it was like. I had no aspiration. As a matter of fact, the first couple of times I had sat in the pit, there wasn't even a tour mentioned yet. Like, mm-hmm. so this wasn't about what I know now about the Broadway community is when you request to sit in someone's pit or when someone offers you the opportunity to sit in a pit, it is because they see you as a viable candidate to sub their show. Mm-hmm. Um, I had no idea. So me, I'm I, one of my favorite shows is how it's made. I just want to see how things tick and how, right. how your world varies from the world that I'm currently in. So for me, it was more of an education of, of sorts. And um, now I'm very, you know, you know, when I ask to sit in someone's pit, I'm, I'm cognizant of what that actually means now as those before. Uh, so I sat in, sat in this pit a couple of times just for fun. And then the third and fourth time was because, you know, it was about the business of learning the show and, you know, seeing how he did things and, you know, where everything was um, simply because at that point I was interested in although cultures are different in different shows, you know, the core of what happens is pretty, pretty boilerplate, mm-hmm. you know, getting there on time, doing your prep work, you know, making sure that you understand what each director conductor is going to ask for, you know, all of those things. So, yeah. Forks Drum Closet, Nashville's full-line drum store. Celebrating its 40th year in business, Forks is independently owned and operated in the heart of Music City. Specializing in drums and percussion, Forks offers great discounts on all major brands and will beat any retailer's advertised price. From new and used equipment, vintage drums, and marching and orchestral instruments, Forks has something for every drummer. They also offer professional rental, repair, and restoration services, as well as drum lessons. Stop by their storefront at 308 Chestnut Street in Nashville, Tennessee, or call 615-383-8343, or go online at ForksDrumCloset.com. So let's talk about the gear. You said you have three kits? Three kits. So I assume you have one main, yep. like in the pit, do they give mm-hmm. you a booth? How's, how's your main So I have setup? an eight foot by eight foot booth. I have a cube. Um, mm-hmm. Four side. Uh, sorry, it's five sides. Um, top, two sides, front and back. Um, um, sound treated, you know, air conditioned, small mm-hmm. little piece of heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, I am using um, a Pearl uh, Reference Pure, which is my favorite kit mm-hmm. in the world, just because of its versatility and the science behind the kit really just makes sense. Um, with that kit, you can get any tone you're looking for, regardless of genre, just period. Mm-hmm. Um, the reference kit is great. I have one of those too, but I like the thinner shells simply because the, the tone is a bit more open. Mm-hmm. So um, that's the pit kit. Um, five piece, 10, 12, 16, 18 by 22 inch kick drum. And then I have my favorite snare, which is a 20 ply reference shell. 
but mine is modified so it's a master's works it's a seven by 14 as opposed to six and a half by 14. Mm -hmm. um sabian symbols i I decided to go with the double hx series um evolutions it's an 18 19 inch evolution 18 inch ozone evolution crash then an 18 inch double h explosion crash um, there's a lot of crashes because there are a lot of different hits, you know, that sync up with dancers. So having something that sounds a little different, you know, just, um, gives it a little bit more pop and a bit more variety of hitting the same crash on everything. And then on um, my favorite ride in the world right now is the 22 inch legacy heavy by Sabian. Um, I love that ride because you can crash it and then get stick definition almost immediately after the crash. Um, but a lot of times when you get a crash, uh, right that you can crash, the bell definition isn't really good with this one. It's all of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm using 15 inch, um, evolution hats, which, uh, are just, you know, juicy and buttery and crisp mm-hmm. all at the same time. So are you tuning or muffling any differently with that kit versus what you would use on a non Broadway gig? Mm-mm. Um, so like we were talking about before um although this is a motown-esque show um talking about the temptations in that timeline um this is a very modern sound Mm -hmm. so i was basically able to um tune and um dampen the drums the same way i do with bobby brown or people bryson um fairly open couple of drum dots on the floor tom you know, drummed out on the 12 inch Tom, the 10 is wide open. Um, I'm using the Remo vintage emperors, which already give you a very round, um, sound, mm-hmm. um, very punchy, but also still very tonal. Um, and, uh, I'm using a control sound coded on the snare. So, you know, very R and B ish, mm-hmm. you know, very, um, very pop, um, but it works. It, it works fairly well. Um, funny story, um, you know, because all front of house guys, you know, have their preferences. Oh, you're not using the Yamaha kit. You know, what are you <laughs> using? And I was like, oh, it's a pro reference pure. Oh, okay, cool. Like, we'll see how it sounds in the house. Um, my, <laughs> my sound check took no exaggeration, Mike, five minutes. That's what's up. <laughs> hit the kick drum. He was like, oh, that's good. I hit the snare because he was like, uh, what are you using for a snare? Because on Broadway, um, Clayton is using a Yamaha kit, and he's using a brass shell snare. Um, and I brought one on the road just in case there was someone that's saying, well, we want to do exactly what Clayton has in his pit. And um, I love brass snares, but um, one of the characters, there was a brass snares has been very pangy, you know, that mm-hmm. frequency of pain. Um, and I'm not a fan of that, you know, particularly if I'm playing an R and B gig or something like that, I'm trying to get that out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, well, you know, I'm just going to put this 20 ply, this reference shell up here and see what happens. And he picked it up. He was like, Holy crap. And yeah, it's about 20, 25 pounds <laughs> and um he was like you carry this thing around i was like it's worth the weight um w-e-i-j uh, g-h-t <laughs> right? right and um 
I hit that thing three times. He was like, yep, you were right. That's the snare we're using. Don't even think about, you can leave that other one on the track. So nice. no dampening. No muffling on it. Uh, I have a big drum dot and a small drum dot. Okay. That's it. That's it. Um, and that does the job pretty well. Um, also, it's not tuned uh, super high. It's high enough, but uh, you know, I really wanted to get in that in that mid range, like because there are some ballads in the show. Mm. So you know, um, using also using a deeper a deeper snare. You know, I wanted something that can give me the pop on the the, the up tempo tunes, but also give me that low end gush that you want on a ballad. So. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a lot. The, the drum dots took just enough of the the ring away for it to translate on all of the songs. So, is that booth located um, in the pit, or are they going to put it wherever the heck they can get it? Where's it going to be? <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, pretty much wherever they can get it. Uh, but uh, m- the majority of the time, I can see me being like in a trap room, like at the Proctor Theater, which is a beautiful theater here in Schenectady. Um, I'm in the trap room, so you know everyone. Uh, so they tried to keep all of the noisy stuff out of the pit. So mm-hmm. in the pit, you have the conductor who's playing key one. You have key two, bass um, and lead guitar, which are going direct, and you have the two violinists who are in the pit. Um, with me in the trap room, you have uh, sax, trombone, and trumpet, and two percussionists. So anything pretty much that has mics on it is in the trap room, isolated so that front of house can, you know, manipulate those um, volumes as they see fit for the show. So what are the other two kids? Decade Maple Kids, mm-hmm. which um, I'm not going to lie. Um, being a drum snob, I don't have a lot of entry level kits or, you know, Entry pro entry level to pro kits. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was very uh, so putting these kits together. I was very uh, very surprised at the craftsmanship and the detail, even at that price point. Um, but it was more about aesthetics. Uh, the last uh, maybe four or five minutes of the show, uh, the band is on stage, and if you know anything about Motown and the Temptations. You know, the Funk Brothers were this big thing. So, you know, you had two drummers, a percussionist, you know, guitar, horns, you know, the whole thing. So at the the finale of the show, the band is on stage. So one of the percussion players play one of the kits and now play the other. And they wanted a white kit. And um, the Decade Maple kit, um, they had a white kit. And um, it has a very classic look. And um, it's... It's white, but it's almost kind of like mother of pearl white, you mm-hmm. know, so um, pearlescent even. Like, so depending on the way the light hits it, the way it reflects light, it really looks great on stage. So they're de- decade maple kits, but my stage kit also uh, doubles as my lobby slash rehearsal kit because we're picking up, we travel with a core group, the rhythm section. So two keys, bass, guitar, and drums, and we pick up. Uh, the strings, the horns, and the percussionists in every city. Mm. So um, every time we get to a new city, we have to have a rehearsal. So my stage kit doubles as my rehearsal kit as well. And um, what works really well um, are my 
FRX symbols. So I'm using the same um, FRX symbols on stage, um, which are amazing because you can hit them and not have to feel um, and not be afraid of uh, overpowering everything with wash. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of these rooms that we're in are, I don't know, three, three to 5,000 seats. Um, and they are constructed for symphonies and orchestras. Um, so to have symbols in there going crazy wouldn't be a great thing, but the, the FRX is really do the job in there. So, um, yeah, two decades, all of the pro hardware, Remo heads, you know, Sabian stuff. I'm a creature of habit, Mike. <laughs> are I'm, they, are they tuned like the pit kit or are they more traditional tuning? To just like the pit kit. Okay. Um, simply because you want a consistency of sound. Um, because if not, you know, now front house has to, you know, reinvent the wheel and we have to now be like, okay, why does this kit sound this way? And the majority of the show, it sounded like something else. Mm -hmm. So it's very, very similar as, as similar as a decade could be to a reference peer kit, Mm -hmm. but, um, nonetheless, it sounds, it sounds great. And for those five minutes, if you're listening to the tone of the drums, I'm doing something extremely wrong. (laughs) (laughs) were you i mean how did you get those kits on like were you a part of that process did you have to bring in kits and show them to the director i mean how did no so uh man uh the one thing i will say about a broadway production of this magnitude is that there is no stone unturned um there is someone looking at every aspect of this show and uh like I said, because this show has a, a, a standard of the Broadway show, mm-hmm. um, we just had to come in and, you know, deal with that. And coincidentally, they're using the Pearl Decade Maple Kits on Broadway. Oh, no kidding. Um, so it, um, it, made it, it made it very easy. And me being a Pearl artist, that just gave me the opportunity to go in and just house all of the percussion you know and make sure that pro got all of that love mm-hmm. um so even um the percussion books uh pearl was pearl sabian pro mark and remo were gracious enough to um partly sponsor this tour um so all of the percussion gear is pro percussion that's nice. not the case on um broadway Javier Diaz, who who um, wrote those books, um, also um, uh, Robert Scatero, because uh, they're two percussion guys. They're using a hodgepodge of different things. But you can imagine if you're getting ready for a tour, being able to get all of your stuff from one particular source mm-hmm. uh, just cuts down on the logistics of shipping and all of that stuff. So um, I got a copy of the manifest the broadway manifest of what they were using the percussion and i translate translated that into pearl talk mm. and um sent it to my rep and they took it from there and so the kungas the bongos you know everything that you hear from the percussion book is all pearl sabian remo and promart so nice so how much cool. spare gear do you take are you going to take on the road when this thing goes around um so my drums are in hard cases, um, humans, the Humansenberg cases. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have one kid out here, um, 
spare gear, what do I have in my, my, my spare? I have the things that would derail me playing. So extra snare stand, hi-hat stand, extra pedal, um, a couple of extra cymbals. I'm a snare whore, so I have four snares out here with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have a few um, kick drum patch repairs just in case something stupid happens, you know. Um, but because I'm only playing drums, you know, there are not too many things that can go wrong that can derail me playing. You know, if a snare goes bad, I got three others to choose from, you know, extra pedal, hi-hat, snare stand. You know, symbol, symbol uh, knock on wood, but cymbal stands don't typically go bad. Mm-hmm. Um, this is brand new Pearl hardware. So, you know, I'm, you know, I think I'm pretty set. I felt confident in being able to bring not as much stuff simply because, um, the drums being sounding great is one thing, but the construction and the craftsmanship of the instruments that I'm carrying out here just uh, allow me to breathe easier knowing that I have one drum kit out here, mm-hmm. you know, so what and then heads? also you're going to change heads every city. How, what's your process for that? Uh, I let the drums dictate that I let, mm-hmm. um, I used to be one of those guys. Hey, after every two weeks, let's change the heads. But, um, my home studio, the vintage emperors I've had on that kit for the past three years. Mm-hmm. And I'm afraid to change them simply because every time I get ready, every time I sit down to record, like, okay, I'm going to change these heads and I'll sit down to sound check and they sound great. I was like, why am I going to waste resources on changing heads when they're still giving me what I need? Mm-hmm. Um, I'll probably change the snare head every other city simply because I'm whacking that thing pretty hard and it's a single ply head with a dot on it. Mm-hmm. And um, there are a couple of places in the show where I have to play brushes. So, you know, obviously you know, over time that coating kind of dissipates or whatever. So just to be able to keep that crisp brush sound, I'll probably change the snare head every, every couple weeks or every couple cities or whatever. But for the most part, it'll, it'll happen when it needs to happen as opposed to me having a science, um, you know, and the crazy thing with Remo heads, is like the longer you keep them on, the better they sound, which is, mm-hmm. I don't know how they, how they've been able to do that. There are other companies as soon as you put them on they sound amazing but the minute they get you know one dent you know it's a steep decline to changing it um but i haven't had that issue with the remo stuff so um i'll just wait until i need to do it and it might not be a full head change although my ocd won't let me just change one head (laughs) (laughs) so it will be a full head change. it will be a full head head change and Remo sent a gang of drum heads so like I'm, I'm covered for a while. What's, what well. sticks are you using? Um, so I am using the Promark uh, it used to be the Acid Jazz 718 mm-hmm. but they just went through a re um, a retool of a lot of the stuff over at Promark, Diodario and now that stick is now called the Finesse 718 mm, um, Okay, I gotta get some It's about a 5.8 grip uh, six, 16 and a quarter inches long. Um, it has a long taper with a, um, a hybrid tip of a ball and a barrel tip. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that stick simply because, you know, even beyond Broadway, 
you know, the acts that I play with are very different, whether it be Anthony David and Avery Sunshine versus Peebo Bryson and Bobby Brown. Um, and then I have to turn around and do a, a jazz gig or, you know, whatever. I didn't want to have to change drumsticks all of the time. Mm. Um, so having one stick that encompasses everything, you know, I can go go and do, you know, a nice little R&B gig you know, and at City Winery and then turn around and play, you know, a, a stadium gig with Peebo or Bobby, mm -hmm. you know, and I don't want to have to think about the less gear I have to think about, the better, you know, so having one stick that does everything is, is a great thing for me. Is that made of maple? Is the finesse mean it's made of maple? They have maple models, but mine is a hickory. Okay. The new ones, the finesses, the new finesses that they just came out with, there is a maple component. Mm -hmm. But for me, uh, the thing with maple is it's a uh, it's a little um, deceptive because you can you remember like the um, the SD twos and the SD nines. Oh yeah, they're thick, but when you pick them up, they're light as a feather. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I prefer the hickory. I just like the way the hickory feels. Um, the the response in my hands when I hit the snare and how it responds to the cymbal. There's a tone that maple gives off versus uh, hickory. Um, and that just might be me being super sensitive to what I'm playing and how I'm playing. But um, all of that kind of stuff matters to me. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, I rather it, uh, I call it air drums. Like when I close my eyes, how things feel to me with nothing in front of me is exactly how I wanted it to feel when I'm actually sitting behind the kit. You know, it's how I want it to sound, how I want it to feel. And um, that's why I'm with, I've chosen the companies I have. It's not because of hype or it's not because they're the it thing or they're the largest. It's literally because when I close my eyes and I play drums, this is what I hear and this is what I feel. Mm. Yeah. Take it. So last question. Yeah. Sure. I'm uh I'm a, such a OCD about my warm up pre show routine. Like yeah, I have something I have to do every time in order to remind myself I can still play the same way I played <laughs> yesterday. Right, right. <laughs> do you have a warm up routine? I saw you play three camps. That's part mm -hmm. of my daily routine. Mm -hmm. Do you have a pre show ritual? I do. Uh, so I stretch for sure. Um, I just literally just take the sticks, flip them inside out. Mm -hmm. And I just hold it there for a count of 10. Um, wrist warm up, count of 10 on each hand. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Same thing on the right. Uh, and I typically go through, uh, you know, the boilerplate rudiment stuff, you know, some paradiddles, making sure the hands are warm enough to get some singles going. Um, I kind of feel like it's uh, kind of like idling a car. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, when I was growing up, my dad um, used to make me go outside and warm up my mom's car. So when she got in the car, it wasn't cold, right? Right, right. But um, what I remember um, him teaching me, he was like, you don't drive a car when you first turn it on. I was like, what do you mean? So when you first turn on a car, it's... It's revving, it's ah, but then after a while, once it's warm, you'll hear it. It'll have like this, it, it's calmed down, it's warm, and now the car is ready to perform at its optimal 
you know, performance. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel the same way with my single stroke roles. Uh, so I'll sit down and, you know, I'll start playing. And if you're ever around me when I'm doing it, I'll get to a point and I'll be like, there it is. You know, and that's when my hands have calibrated and the single stroke roll. I'm not one of those guys who can just pick up a pair of drumsticks and rip. I got, I have to make sure that I'm ready. And once I feel that, I'll do three camps and then I'm ready to go. You know, nice. So, yeah. I have to add a supplemental question. I forgot to ask. Sure. Are you, are you still reading or are you off book at this point? <laughs> good, good, good question. I am still reading only because uh, it's important to me to nail everything in this process, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, We are in, technically, we're still in tech. And um, obviously, as a drummer, you know, you know, you play something enough, things evolve, you know, players evolve, the book will evolve. Mm -hmm. And um, I am playing 100% ink right now simply because I know my job is to make sure that I'm giving those dancers and those choreographers exactly what they need to be able to do their visual job, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and not to mention, I didn't know any of these people prior to getting to New York. So they're still learning me as a player. They're still learning where my groove sits. Mm-hmm. Once they get comfortable with that, I'll feel more comfortable with going off of memory. If the if a gun was to my head, I could probably play this show without the book. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's also a lesson in, you know, due diligence and understanding that this is my first journey into the Broadway, Broadway touring world. So for me, because you never know who's out in the audience mm-hmm. and you never know, like, so for me, it's the discipline of playing the book. And even after I know the show, I'll probably still turn the pages on the iPad just to make sure. Oh, we're talking about gear. Let me tell you about this real thing. I know we got to go. But what I've done, I've taken um, a UX-80, which is the pearl pipe clamp. It's Mm -hmm. the long clamp with the clamp on the end. It's a revolving clamp. Um, And I've taken the air turn uh, iPad um, clamp. And I put that on the end and I clamped it to one of my um, tom stands. Okay. So the book literally sits right above my toms. Oh, slick. Right. So I don't have to have a music stand. Not to mention, a lot of times your music stands are off to the left. If you've ever (laughs) been looking, playing in front and looking to the left the entire time. Yeah. Yeah. It's terrible. (laughs) Right. Really bad. It hurts just doing it now. (laughs) Right. Not not to mention having to look at the conductor, which the conductor cam is typically in front of you, or mm-hmm. like I'd rather things be center so I don't have to worry about back issues when I'm 50, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got a lot of guys don't know, a lot of drummers don't know, but there's this thing called the, the Air Turn BT200. Okay. And what it is, it's a tap. It's a Bluetooth switcher for drummers. Mm. It has two pads where you can hit them and it will turn the pages in your book oh, for you. Nice. It's not a pedal thing. You just have it. It's not it. a pedal. Uh-huh. You can actually hit it. But the cool thing about this is that if you didn't like the feel of those pads, you can disconnect those pads and plug in a PD8 or mm. a PDX100 or a mesh pad of your choice from Roland or whoever and put it 
anywhere you want to on a DOS pad, you can get a DOS pad and do it and connect that to the transmitter and use those as page turners as well. So I That's wanted to tell great. you that simply because I know a lot of guys ask me, like, how are you controlling? Like, are you reaching for your book? And no, it's like so. And, you know, turning pages and you got two drumsticks in your hand, you know, it can get a little tricky. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I'm literally it's right under my hi hat. So when I get ready to turn a page, I just hit it. It's a part of my choreography. So if I'm hitting a crash, I can hit that pad at the same time. It turns the page and I'm ready for the next page. So nice. check that out. This is by Air Turn. I know I'm not endorsed with them, but I think it's a really cool thing um, that guys that do what we do, guys that, you know, have a bunch of books that they have to play, you know, particularly if they're digital guys, you know, there's this debate about iPad versus paper, yada, yada, mm-hmm. yada. I'm an iPad guy. Um, especially when you have the big one, I have the pro. So like it's big enough. It's as big as a piece of paper, you know, it sits there and you know, you, I can make all my annotations It's super neat. I can go back and type it in and make it look like it's part of the music, you know, so check it out. Manos air turn, like they have a bunch of different things, but I think you'll like that if you're into, you know, digital, um, charts. Did you get the book digitally? Did you have to create your own version? I got a book. <clears throat> I got a digital book. He sent me a PDF and I made all of my annotations, but the copyist for the tour uh, went back and took all of my annotations and made a tour book. Mm. So we have a librarian um, that, uh, that tours with us and they're responsible for making sure that all of the music um, is um, accounted for and present for the locals. Mm-hmm. And they made a book for everyone. But I know myself, the bass player and the guitarist are all, you know, using iPads simply because it's easier to travel with an iPad than, you know. Yeah. And although we're not responsible for traveling our book, I'd just rather use that just like that is a last resort. Something happens, my iPad cracks and I can't get to the Apple store in time, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, I have something, but, you know, the 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 iPad works the best for me. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I'm going to go get an iPad Pro. And uh, what is it? What is the company that makes the switcher? AirTurn. AirTurn. I'll, I'll text you. I'll text you the information if you're really interested. It's really cool. Um, like this time to say, man, thank you so much for this opportunity. You know, um, obviously, you know, I'm a, a huge fan of what you you and um, Ben are doing. And um I, I appreciate the opportunity to sit here and talk to you, man. Um, makes my day to talk gear. So right <laughs> I appreciate the opportunity. <laughs> well, everyone listening, go check out the Ain't Too Proud to Beg tour when it comes to your city. Hopefully I'll catch it in D.C. That's my home, my hometown. So hopefully I'll see you down there. <laughs> well, hang it. I'm, I'm right. there for a month. I'm there for a month. Excellent. <laughs> oh, bro. I'll see you in a couple of weeks. And I need, I need crab. I need seafood. <laughs> Jumbo lump, crab cakes. Easy, easy to do down there. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. Mike, this is happening. That's it for this week's episode. Hope you enjoyed my chat with Q. If you did, please head over to iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. Drop us a five-star rating and a nice review. That helps spread the word. Also, if you're not checking out the episodes in video form, they are all being posted on our YouTube channel. Just go to Drum Factory Direct's, uh, Drum Factory Direct's YouTube channel. Every episode gets posted there in its entirety. And also, if you're not following us on social media, 
Make sure you follow us at least on Instagram, but also Facebook. We are. I'm going back now and uh, touching base with some of our previous guests to do some quick Instagram live interviews. So you don't want to miss out on those. And anyway, that's it for this week. Have a great week and we will see you next time.